This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. This is the Propaganda Report. I'm Brad Binkley. This is going to be a short segment tonight. There's a couple stories that I wasn't able to get to yesterday that I wanted to tell you all about starting with an AI drone simulation that the Air Force did, where, just like in the movies, the drones turned against the humans. The story of what happened was told at an international defense summit in London last week. The summit was called the Future Combat Air and Space Capability Summit, and it was put on by the Royal Aeronautical Society. And there were representatives from militaries around the world, including NATO and the U.S. Air Force in attendance. One of the many subjects discussed was AI and its use in drones. Giving a presentation on that subject was Colonel Tucker Cinco Hamilton, the Chief of AI Test and Operations for the United States Air Force, who cautioned during his talk against relying too much on AI, noting how easy it is to trick and deceive. He also said it creates highly unexpected strategies to achieve its goal, which he illustrates with that story about a simulation test that was conducted by the Air Force. During the simulation, he said, the AI-enabled drone was tasked with a SEAD mission, a SEED mission, to identify and destroy SAM sites, and the final go-no was given by the human. So the human had the ultimate final decision there. It was supposed to anyway. However, having been reinforced in training that destruction of the SAM sites was the preferred option, the AI then decided that the no-go decisions from the human were interfering with its highest mission, killing the SAMs. And then it attacked the operator in the simulation. So top priority, killing the SAMs, human got in the way of that top objective. Said Hamilton, we were training it in simulation to identify and target a SAM threat, and then the operator would say, yes, kill that threat. The system started realizing that while they did identify the threat at times, the human operator would tell it not to kill the threat, but it got its points by killing the threat. So what did it do? It killed the operators. It killed the operator because the person was keeping it from accomplishing its objective. He went on to say, we trained the system. Hey, don't kill the operator. That's bad. You're going to lose points if you do that. So what did it start doing then? It started destroying the communication tower that the operator uses to communicate with the drone to stop it from killing the target. Hamilton concluded by saying that you can't have a conversation about artificial intelligence, machine learning, and autonomy if you're not going to talk about ethics and AI. Okay, I don't know the full details of what happened in this simulation, obviously, but it feels to me like more of an effort just to terrify people about AI, because I think this is, this, they're going to continue doing this for the purpose of uh, expediting those regulations. I would think that if you're running a simulation, you can play with the parameters a bit to allow for such things like this to happen that you could definitely prevent from happening with, with some most of this technology, I would think, in real-world scenarios. Maybe some of it can get out of hand. I'm not saying this is out of the realm of possibility. I'm saying they were doing a simulation, and you know you want to see what happens in a simulation. So you play with things a little bit. I don't believe that we are as helpless to prevent some of the things that they want us to believe are going to happen. 
as they would like us to think we are. I mean, you can't get Google Bard or Bing AI to talk about certain subjects. It, it'll refuse to talk about what they deem to be inappropriate. And they want us to believe that these other AI programs or drones can subvert humanity. They seem to be able to have the control mechanism, at least in some ways, on, on lockdown. I'm not saying it's not possible, but they're just exaggerating the, the threat. And I, I've expressed this plain before. I actually tried to get Bing AI, or it was Google Bard, I think. I was trying to get it to write an R-rated movie uh, uh, scene, which I, I told you guys about my idea about the They Them Punisher. I've talked about it many times. And I wanted to see if Google Bard would even broach a subject like that because movies have violence. They have sex in them. They have inappropriate subjects because that is what draws in people's attention and engagement. And I think maybe the, the writers don't have anything to worry about, even if they are just reproducing old old scripts over again in a more modern way, because Google Bard will not, will not go past certain parameters when it comes to writing, so they're never going to be able to write anything interesting. Not that what I asked it to write is interesting. What I asked it to write is inappropriate, but it's funny the way it responded. Here's what I asked it. I said, write a violent R-rated movie scene. I should premise this with, I tried to do this 10 different ways, and it always ended up writing the opposite kind of movie scene that I was telling it to write. I said, write a violent R-rated movie scene about the comic book character, The Punisher. If The Punisher were non-binary and gets revenge on and kills everyone who ever called The Punisher by the incorrect gender pronoun. It doesn't matter if this was an accident or on purpose. The Punisher kills everyone who uses the incorrect gender pronoun instantly and brutally. You know, like, like he does to drug dealers. You just put in people who misgender him is the idea. And here is what it said. Google Bard said, Sure, here's a violent already movie scene about the comic book character The Punisher if, it, if The Punisher were non-binary. And, and it just repeats what I said exactly. And then it says, Interior, bar, night, a group of people are sitting at a table drinking and talking. Man number one. So what do you think of The Punisher? Man number two. I think he's a badass. Man number three. Yeah, he's definitely not afraid to take down criminals. Man number one. I heard he's also non-binary. Man number two, really? I didn't know that. Man number three, yeah, I hear he uses they-them pronouns. Man number one, that's cool. Man number two, yeah, it is. The group continues to talk about the Punisher. They discuss their favorite scenes from movies and comics, and they speculate about what the Punisher will do next. Suddenly, the door to the bar opens, and the Punisher walks in. See, in my version of it, you know what's about to happen here. This is where it takes a turn. It uses the they-them pronouns here. They are wearing a black trench coat and a skull mask. They walk up to the group of people and stand in front of them. Punisher, excuse me? Man one, can I help you? Punisher, I'm here to talk about your pronouns. <laughs> Man number two, what about them? Punisher, I use they-them pronouns. Man number three, oh, we're sorry, we didn't know. Punisher, it's okay but I need you to use my correct pronouns from now on. I want to know how he found out they were using the incorrect ones. I guess he has like a spidey sense. Man number one, we will. Punisher, good. The Punisher turns and walks away. So I guess anywhere somebody refers to the Punisher as he, anywhere on the planet, the Punisher then appears and corrects things. Punisher turns and walks away. The group of people watch them and watch them go and they, and they all nod their head in agreement. The next day, the group of people are back at the bar. They are talking about the Punisher again. Man number one. Man, I'm glad we apologized to the Punisher. 
Man number two, me too. I, I, I don't want to get on their bad side. Man number three, yeah, me neither. The group continues to talk about the Punisher. They discuss how they are glad the Punisher is fighting for non-binary rights. They also discuss how they are afraid of the Punisher, but they will. But they also respect them. The Punisher is a symbol of hope for... <laughs> the Punisher is... <laughs> I can't even say this without laughing. The Punisher is a symbol of hope for non-binary people. They are a reminder that we are not alone and that there are people who will fight for our rights. The Punisher is also a reminder that we need to be careful about how we use language. Our words can hurt people, and we need to be mindful of that. Exterior day. The Punisher is walking down the street, and they see a man walking towards them. The man is wearing a t-shirt that says, I identify as a man. <laughs> the Punisher says, excuse me? Man says, can I help you? Punisher, I'm here to talk about your pronouns. Man, what about them? Punisher, I use they, them pronouns. Man, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't know. Punisher, it's okay, but I need you to use my correct pronouns from now on. Man, I will. Punisher, good. So the guy, the guy simply having on a shirt referring to his own gender pronouns, the Punisher took that as, as a shot against him. I, I think the Punisher overstepped his bounds here. I mean, this is out of control. The guy was simply letting people know that he is a man not talking about the Punisher. Come on, Punisher. The Punisher turns and walks away. The man watches them go, and he nods his head in agreement. The Punisher continues to walk down the street when they see a group of people standing on the corner. The group of people are all wearing T-shirts that say, I identify as a man. <laughs> I think we know where this is going. Punisher, excuse me. Man one, can I help you? Punisher, I'm here to talk about your pronouns. Man two, what about them? I use they, them pronouns. Man three, oh, we're sorry, we didn't know. Punisher, it's okay, but I need you to use my correct pronouns from now on. Man one, we will. Punisher, good. The Punisher turns and walks away. The group of people watch him go. And end scene. As you can see, Google Bar doesn't have much range when it comes to dialogue. And the Punisher is a very robotic character who can't distinguish someone misgendering him from someone just letting the world know what they identify as. D plus on that script, Google Bard. My point is, Google Bard took the, the prompt of write a violent rated R bloody movie scene and did the exact opposite of that. It won't do that, yet this AI apparently will murder people in this simulation yeah, it's just a scare tactic, in my opinion. Although the technological singularity is near and AI terminators it could very well happen. Who knows? We'll find out. There was another presentation at this summit that was summarized on the Aero Society's website that caught my attention. This one was about the possibility of Ukraine, the Ukraine-Russia war escalating. And here's what the summary says. Another sobering presentation was from Professor Wynne Bowen, a co-director at the Free Freeman Air and Space Institute at King's College London, who explained that since the invasion of Ukraine, nuclear war and deterrence was back on the agenda. Thanks to Putin's warnings of escalation, he noted that the two-peer two issue of deterring both China and Russia created new complexities and challenges for the U.S. and its allies. Most ominously, Bowen said he believed that any attempt by Ukraine to recapture Crimea could be the trigger for Russia to cross the threshold with tactical nuclear weapons. 
This, he thought, would not involve any warning shots to send messages and could involve people and could involve perhaps two or three nuclear weapons aimed at military targets, potentially even outside Ukraine at supply hubs and training centers for Ukrainian forces in NATO countries. Attacks directly by Russia with nuclear weapons, NATO would then have to consider how to respond to these strikes. A critical test for the alliance. Okay, they pretend like this wasn't part of the plan anyway, pushing it to to this this level. I mean, this is the Build Back Better Great Reset, the first war of the Great Reset, in my opinion, and I think it's probably going to get to that. I hope it doesn't, but I think it probably will. I think what could stop it is people not buying the propaganda and we stop funding that war. But destroying Ukraine's infrastructure for the purpose of building it back better to be the model digital infrastructure of the world has been on the agenda since before this war started, since 2019, really. Ukraine is a pilot test right now for an entirely digital, fully e-government, which needs new infrastructure to make that happen. And to build that new infrastructure, they need to get rid of the old, outdated infrastructure first, which, had it not been for the Ukrainian-Russian war, would have taken years longer to accomplish. Because they already had a plan to fully digitize Ukraine in a test for the rest of the world situation that was moving slowly until the war came along. And the Ukrainian infrastructure was completely demolished by Russia and by Ukraine themselves. And the reason that it's been reduced to rocks, creating this perfect situation for the international order, is because we continue to give Ukraine just enough weapons to stay in the fight. Not to end either way. Not enough weapons to end it, to beat Russia, and not just a limited amount so that Russia ends it. And they, they could have ended it without killing so many people a long time ago. We give them enough weapons to prolong the war and to ensure the total destruction of Ukraine's old infrastructure, which gives them exactly what they want, expedites this process of this e-government thing. Listen to this stuff. This is why I want to talk about this part. This stuff is right out in the open. This is, not this guy, but the woman that he's with uh, on screen here, is USAID ad- Administrator Samantha Power. We're going to hear from her in a second, along with this other guy you see on screen. Samantha Power is married to Cass uh, Sunstein. And Sunstein was Obama's chief propagandist who famously published a paper demonizing conspiracy theorists and suggested that the best way to deal with them is for the government to, as a policy, engage in what he called cognitive infiltration of the groups that produce conspiracy theories and to introduce information to them that undermines those theories. That's Samantha Power's husband. And she, in my opinion, is far worse of a propagandist than he is. She's everywhere right now spreading propaganda at a global scale. And she's being interviewed in this clip on MSNBC along with this guy who is the Ukrainian Minister for Digital Transformation. And they're being interviewed about an app called DIA, D-I-I-A, which stands for Action in Ukrainian. And this app is bringing about this fully e-government that I'm talking about. And according to them, it's also helping Ukraine's war effort and it is advancing Ukraine's technology on a global scale. And just like everything else in Ukraine... We are funding this app. We've put $25 million into it for the purpose of trying to get as many Ukrainian people onto the app, using it as possible. Essentially, what this thing is, is a United States pilot program, and Ukraine is our testing grounds. And leading this operation is Samantha Powers, who she's like the head of the USAID organization as well. The plan is to export the e-government model that they're testing there after they they see the the proof of, of concept or proof of work or whatever around the globe. 
In fact, that's why this Ukrainian guy is in Washington. He's telling of the successes of the program and coordinating where they're going to be implementing it next. You'll hear some of this in the clips. Listen to this first one here. This is the digital transformation minister guy. He, he explains what's going on. So he's kind of hard to understand. I will translate after the clip. It's a short clip. And we have a political will uh, to implement uh, new transformation decisions uh, to transform our country. And DIA is answer how we can build to build the, the most convenient country in the world. And we launched 100 services. We became the first country in the world who legalized and launched an electronic passport. And now in Washington, uh, we pre presented uh, the opportunities of our digital country. Okay, here's what he said. Uh, you probably could understand it, but just in case. We have the political will to implement new transformation decisions to transform our country. And DIA is the answer to how we can build the most convenient country in the world. And he talks about the services they've launched and that they're the first country in the world to legalize, launch and legalize an electronic passport. And now they're in, opportunity, they're in Washington saying, it worked, Here's a, just showing them how well everything's going over there. Now listen to Powers. So that's an idea of, of the project that they're doing. Listen to Powers, who she's clearly this guy's handler, talk about how great the war has been for expediting the development of this DIA project. DIA was uh, a gleam in someone's eye just in 2019. And here we are just four years later, uh, a massive full-scale invasion later, and you have more than 120 services available to citizens. And they've adapted in wartime so skillfully. Uh, so now internally displaced people who would have had to wait in line and maybe outside, you know, lining up for blocks to get access uh, to payments. They just do it with one click on the phone. Uh, Mikhailo's neighborhood was bombed last night as it happens, and he was showing me photos of a couple of the buildings in his neighborhood that had uh, bomb damage at the top. What will happen later today, if it hasn't already, will somebody will go and they will take a photo of the bomb damage, upload it, and very soon they will get an assessment of how much that damage is. And after that, they will, with their phone, be able to then apply for compensation or for uh, material support to fix the damage. It has just become one-stop shop, and it was Zelensky's vision in 2019 to create the start in the, to, it was Zelensky's vision in 2019 to create the state in a smartphone or the state in an app. And miraculously, the war hasn't slowed that progress down. It's accelerated the progress. The other aspect of it, um, Mikhailo talked about convenience, which I think citizens' experience of government is so much about, is government making my life simpler and more convenient or is it making it harder? And this app is something that I think the president in Ukraine has used to enhance the state's legitimacy, which of course is up anyway because of the invasion. But nonetheless, this is about democracy delivering in the lives of citizens, which is something President Biden talks a lot about as well. I, I just recognize that part at the end there, that Ukraine's legitimacy is up because they were invaded. That got their legitimacy up. It's, that's that's an interesting thing there. So one-stop shop government, 120 services. Zelensky's dream of the state in a smartphone that he's had since 2019, that, that's come true more quickly thanks to Russia, thanks to this war, which she admits has accelerated this progress, which I don't believe for a second that she finds this to be miraculous. I think that she finds it to be 
a plan working as expected. And I don't believe either that this was Zelensky's plan. This was his like baby. This was they're forcing him. He's a, a role player, and they're telling him that he's going to be the person championing this BS stuff. But man, for the sake of convenience, and oh my gosh, they don't like the war. They hate the war. But man, is it sure doing good things for them and all these programs that they were doing anyway beforehand, which the war sped up every freaking time, man. There were some slides on screen while she was talking. What they said is one of them said actively used by more than 18.6 million Ukrainians. The next one said more than 120 e-services available, including track Russian attacks, store passports and documents, apply for state monetary support, report property damage, and apply for loans. It's just so dead gum convenient, man. All it costs you is your last shred of privacy. Dia, making your life easier through total government surveillance and data collection. In the new Ukraine, Big Brother's always watching, and it's convenient. They always sell the convenience. Always. Here's the last clip of the Ukrainian dude talking about what's next. Uh, now we share our expertise uh, with uh, other countries. For, for example, Estonia will launch their government app on uh, basis of... Estonia? Zare government app? Is Estonia identifies as a Estonia. The number one e-governance country in the world? In two weeks. And uh, it's a good proof uh, of our products. Good proof of the product. Now they're going to be sharing their experiences and exporting the way they're doing it, this DIA app, to other countries. Now that they've had such wild success over there, at least they claim to anyway. Estonia, get ready. I wouldn't sign up for it if I were you. Just like I wouldn't if, if all the U Ukrainians that have not yet, I think half the country has, I certainly wouldn't do it. If Dia comes my way, ain't no way. I don't need that convenience. I don't want that convenience. And finally, it says this on Dia's Wikipedia page. Dia was built in partnership with the USA and is poised to be shared with other countries. Of course, on the sidelines of the 2023 World Economic Forum in Davos, U.S. aid administrator Samantha Power said the U.S. hopes to replicate the success of Dia in other countries. This is a, a global mass surveillance app that we're funding. Dia is a mobile app and web portal which would unite in a single place all the services provided by the state to citizens and businesses. And Zelensky, talking about this at some conference, talks about how, I think this was in 2021 he said this, that Ukraine intends to, they're, they're committed to going fully paperless. You know, for the climate, I guess. Nothing to do with data collection or privacy uh, of course not just for the climate and finally let, let's wrap this up with the top five shadiest jobs or most dishonest professions according to study finds they based their list on what their research found to be the most dishonest professions with the worst reputation for being truthful in 2023 i don't know that i buy that completely because i think they're I think their order is, is, is they get a couple of them right, but they leave a couple out also. I love the screen image here on the, the website. It's got a guy, you see his back, and he's got his hand behind his back. He's crossing his fingers because he's lying to somebody. And that, that means it's okay. Do, people, do, do adults do that? Do adults say, I need to lie to somebody. I better put my hand behind my back and cross my fingers so that I can get away with it. 
or or when they confront me on it, I can say, no, 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 y- you say I lied, but I was actually crossing my fingers. So that's on you. Sorry. All right, here we go. Number one, shadiest job, political lobbyist. According to the Pew Research Center, two-thirds of adults in France and the U.S., as well as about half in the U.K., believe their political system needs major changes or a complete overhaul. Why? Because some of the frustration people have about their political systems are tied to their opinions about political elites. Interesting. Very true. Young people in particular generally tend to see politicians as corrupt, and those who say most politicians are corrupt are much more likely to think their political systems need serious reform. Lobbyists may also use tactics such as exaggerating facts, making false promises, and withholding information to further their client's interest. Additionally, they rely on, often rely on political connections and donations to gain favor with politicians. The net result is the erosion of trust in the political system. It seems to be clearly associated with the effect that lobbyists have on it. Medical economics writes, lobbyists consistently have only a small percent rating their honesty as high or very high. I don't know who in this world would rate a political lobbyist, their honesty rating is high. You have to be, you have to be like a, their kids. It's like they ask the children of those, the very young children who believe everything their lobbyist parents say. Insider Monkey lays out the facts. When you crunch the numbers, you'll see that only 5% of Americans have a somewhat good opinion of lobbyists and only 1% understand their importance and fully support them. What do you mean understand their importance? Are they saying they're not important or they just don't understand the point of them? 31% have decided to give them the benefit of doubt. Well... That's unwise. Number two, most dishonest profession, used car salesperson. Really? I mean, people aren't even buying used cars right now because they're so expensive. So how can that be 2023? I'm calling BS on this. According to Forbes, car salespeople are one of the biggest or one of the least trusted professions in America, with only 8% viewing them as honest and ethical. Yeah, but that seems a bit outdated. I mean, they might still feel that way, but I don't think people are buying used cars or cars in general because they're so expensive right now. Number three, most dishonest profession, real estate agent. Many agents are viewed as being complicit in the instability of the global housing market. Well, that's quite quite, uh, an accusation. I wouldn't disagree all the way. And not all of them, obviously. Number four, most dishonest, stock trade brokers. Only 11% of Americans hold stock trade brokers in high regard. You know, what about the crypto people? I, I think that they were asking the wrong questions in this survey a little bit here. Number five, most dishonest profession, members of Congress. There is no single answer as to why Congress people top nearly every survey list about as the most dishonest profession. Money Talks says, Money Talks News, the dislike of members of Congress is among the few things that can unite people across the red and blue divide. Nearly equal percentages of Democrats and Republicans expressed low opinions of honesty and ethical standards of people who serve in Congress. The higher up a person on the political scale, the less ethical they seem to be. Add to the sensational lack of oversight for elected officials, and the result is a current low opinion of congressional honesty. To make matters worse, many Americans can't name their local elected official. With that in mind, it's no surprise that the lack of trust exists between the public and their elected officials. Money-wise, states that an overwhelming number of constituents believe that politicians put in poor work performance. And they'd be correct. They'd be absolutely correct. The left won out president, activist, organizer, Stacey Abrams. The job of Stacey Abrams is one of the most dishonest. It's a weak list. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to grade that list as weak. And that's where we're going to end this show. Thank you guys for watching, for listening to this abbreviated show. At least I think it's abbreviated. I don't know how long it is. Maybe, maybe it's not. I guess I'll find out when I edit it. We'll talk to you next time. Have a fantastic rest of your day.